0: welcome to the theory of dfs podcast i'm jordan cooper the co-author of the theory of daily fantasy sports it's a 15-hour audio dfs masterclass you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com joined back as usual with neil orfield after uh, three weeks right so i got cardi on i went to wrestlemania won a gpp while you were gone uh yeah, in basketball. oh yeah, yeah. One, that was like two that, days know, uh, after the last. I I got to mention it because uh, winning is the best marketing. So I gave you shit because uh, I said that you were duped. Uh, and, I, I, and I someone if- pointed out I wasn't actually duped. I had someone had a different. It was a two v two that <laughs> yeah. had the same exact points. Yeah, but I wasn't going to switch up the narrative. Right. that's right. Calling you out as a dupe bro. Yeah. No, no. But but the next week and on the MMA slate, I had a twenty six way dupe win. Yeah. so so that 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 is a that's, a that's a bit more egregious but you still made some money on it yeah yeah I ended up making five thousand total yeah on, on on the slate I mean that's that, yeah that's what I mean I'm not gonna have all uniques I'm I'm aiming for under fives more than uniques and if I end up with you know some that aren't aren't as unique then that's just that's the that's the cost of doing business. I guess it's not like I'm rooting against myself. It's like, oh no, I can't win with a 26-way tie, right? So, so I might as well lose. It's like, no, no. At that at the point, I'd 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 rather win.
1: So I uh, over the past week, I've been talking to somebody uh, reached out to me on Twitter. Uh, I think, as a result of our last conversation, where I was talking about how, you know, I want I wanted you to look into whether my MMA lineups are actually plus EV, uh, because I because I left like $600 on the on the table, and you were saying like you you had looked at some that were leaving $1,500 on the table, and they were not plus EV. Uh, so he kind of sent me simulations that he had done. He's uh, another MMA 150 maxer. Okay. Seems like a really sharp guy. I have no idea exactly how much value to give to this uh, the simulations that he's run, but he seems really sharp. So I I tend to think that it's probably
0: accurate. okay. Which I, uh, I'm fine. I mean I'm fine. I I want to learn from better players and, and yeah. yeah. So obviously I, I thought, the obviously the process that I was using is not simulation based. It's just all by going with odds and estimates and yeah. just like if this so, lineup is this way and how often does this. How up basically, basically what what I'm doing is using the betting lines to determine can all fight, can all six of these fighters score 100 plus points? Yep. And how often do they score 100 plus points within a 50k salary cap? So like obviously leaving like if you take all the six biggest underdogs, how often do they win and then still score enough points that it ends up right. being optimal? But I'm doing it yes. purely based on this Fictional, like they have to cut some, right, some right. slates. It's five fifty-six total, and that's the winner. I mean, on lower-scoring slates, and I'm not right. really accounting for any of those types of things. Right. So, so
1: he was he was doing actual simulations to look at the data, and it sounded like he, in some ways, used a lot of the same information, the same uh, calculations that you did. And uh, this is he had looked at a slate that was maybe three or four weeks ago, and my overall lineups were negative EV, according to what he had done. But I also could see other pros in there and yours did fairly well. You you were near the top in terms of, you know, maybe top 10 or so in terms of uh, his, according to his simulations, his like groups of all the different pros, 150 maxers, uh, whether their lineups were plus EV. So I don't remember which exact, slate it was it was maybe four or five weeks ago but uh looked like you were doing pretty well there so what you're doing even according to him I mean and the results are speaking for themselves to some extent that your line plus plus EV um but
0: I've got and, and I'm typically out. entering I'm, you know, 150 so I mean he's probably yeah. tracking sometimes some slates I maybe a when when I when I see that that, that getting unique enough like, on 11 fight slates, 10 fights, I may not put 150, I may do 75 or something, you know, where it's like, I, I'm just going to run, I'm going to run into trains too much to yep. even try doing this, rather than, let me leave 3,000 on the table until, like, all these lineups and just, like, like if, if, if a 49-5 plus lineup wins, it's like, I'm just, like, I'm basically losing all my money.
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, that was, that was my strategy going into it, was I'm just gonna leave money on the table, get unique. I figured MMA is random enough that it was sort of like NFL showdown, that those lineups that leave a lot of salary on the table were just about as likely to win, but not as likely to be played. But clearly that is not the case. The, the salaries actually mean something in MMA uh, and sort of account for the likelihood of putting up 100 plus you know, points on DK. So uh, I, I think I need to go back to the drawing board clearly.
0: And a decision I made on this past MMA slate was a uh, was a thirty seven thousand dollars swing on 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 one on one decision. But I mean, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take it back because I think I I think I do that anyway. It's it's the byproduct of my more blunt, directionally accurate approach. So yep. you 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 played this the 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 pay per view card because
1: those are those are. I did. I was uh. So I was I was visiting my wife's sister and her husband in DC. Uh, so I had, and we were just moving around. I thought I might have more time. I ended up having about half an hour total to do it. And so it was, uh, trying to, trying to get a little bit different than what I had been doing because I had seen, uh, that my, my past MMA constructions were not plus EV overall. Uh, I, I don't know yet the results of this one. I know that I didn't make money. Um, but I did it in about half an hour. So probably, probably again, I was negative EV, but
0: who knows? Well, on this, this past slate was interesting, uh, because, uh in generating lineups i saw that if you were going to play 3 9k fighters so like if you wanted to play Volkanovsky, Jan, and chemayev the two main event favorites and the uh, uh, you know the the wrestling heavy big favorite you know in the three round fights like yep. the amount of combinations of that was like a joke Right. So it's like like the, I'm I'm none of these are gonna be under fives. Like none like th- these are most more likely to be fifty pluses than under five. So it's like it's a non-starter to play all three of them. Doesn't mean you can't play three nine K fighters. You play Arce, you play Gary, you play the ones that aren't gonna be as popular because all the other ones are there. Uh and then uh assessing the, the, the betting odds, it was another slate where uh the likelihood of the optimal using most of its salary was very high, right? When you yep. have very heavy favorites. And yep. and so it's like, okay, so most likely I'm not playing lineups that are like under 49K. Maybe not even lineups under 49.5, unless yep. I could find some lineups like that. And then uh, the amount of high-scoring dogs was low. Like, up, maybe in the upper 7,500, like, I, I, like Madsen and Fremd and even Kay Hansen, like, like, but it didn't, it still didn't allow you to, like, build, like, two 9K guys and then get, like, Hernandez or or Malat in, like, you still couldn't build, you still had to take, like, a Mackenzie Dern, you had to take someone like that, uh, Olenek-Vanderoff fight, like, and those were more likely to be duped. Enough. If you were playing two nine K, if you were playing Jan Volkanovsky, or Jan Chimyev, or Volkanovsky chip, like like I found those lineups to not be to not be plus EV from a duplication standpoint. High win okay. probability, but yeah. duplication standpoint. So I started generating a bunch of lineups. Uh, and I found that the most underowned fighters were uh Gary, Say. Malott, uh, whoever it was, Hernandez, because since a lot of people are jamming two nine k fighters higher than that, they mm-hmm. were all coming in lower. Now Arce didn't have the greatest inside the distance line at nine thousand. Mm. He probably wasn't was most more times than not he scores like eighty there, and it's not good enough. But at like eight percent ownership, like it's it's worth playing a bunch of yep. them. Uh, but I also found that the main event like the dogs. We're also low probability of scoring 100-plus points. And uh, in generating lineups, the most likely combination of fighters was going to be two main event fighters. So I built I, I built a build, because I use my leverage score to build lineups that are properly leveraged and everything. Uh, I saw that unless I wanted to use a lot of, of Julio Arce or a lot of like Raquel Pennington who didn't rate highly anyway cuz her ITD line was so low. Uh if I wanted to, or if I wanted to just avoid 9K fighters altogether, I could, I could, I could get unique there, but the likelihood of none of the 9K fighters making 100 plus points was yeah. also very low. <laughs> right. So it's like one of one of one of those guys between basically between uh the two main event favorites, Chimaev and Gary. The likelihood of one of them scoring 100 plus points was like 90 plus percent. So it's like I probably got to build with with that construction. So, uh, but the problem with two main event fights is that a lot of lineups are going to have two main event fighters in it. So, so two fighters going against no, each other? No, no. Two fight. There were two five round fights. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. It's 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 not. It wasn't one main event of five rounds. It's two five rounds. at two title fights. Okay. Uh So I built. 300 lineups that had two main event fighters. Now, it could be the underdog. It could be Korean Zombie. It could be Aljermaine yep. Sterling. Uh, and then I built 300 that only had one main event fighter. So that the max is one. And then in all lineups, would only play one of Volkanovsky, Jan, and Chemaev. Because once you play two of them at like $9,300 plus, the combinations of the other four fighters that you can put in your lineup, even if you leave 1,000 1,500 on the table, was still going to be duped over five, right? More likely than not. So that's why like leaving money on the table, especially in a high probability slate that it's going to be like 49,5 plus, I didn't want to build those lines. So I built 300 of each. And then I started getting rid of the, of what I deemed to be the hot more higher duplicative ones. Mm-hmm. And in my 300 set of only one main event fighter, a lot of them were, were, were good, in the one with the all with two main event fighters, because remember, I'm and i the Volkanovsky-Yan combinations, I'm not playing, and the Volkanovsky, like I'm only playing one of those guys. So a lot of those lineups have Gary or Arse in it. Mm-hmm. And then also have like instead of if I'm playing Volkanovsky, it has Algernon Sterling in it. Right? So I'm going through all these lineups and eliminating like likely to be very much more duplicated than five. And I'm eliminating a lot of them, right? I'm just going through nope, 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 and then the ones that that are not going to be as duplicated are ones where it's like I'm playing Tisha Torres and Julio Arce, and I'm playing a absurdly contrarian, where the likelihood, like I'm going to be unique with this lineup, but the width, the probability of 600 in this lineup is also low. So I'm getting didn't rid of. You this week to be what? fair. Right, you didn't need
1: to this week, yeah
0: right but that's like my target of like like yeah, yeah, yeah. how often does this fighter get 100 plus so I started eliminating so many lineups from that set and I saw that in my 300 set where it's only one main event fighter like that was the key of like if you only pick one if you pick no main event fighters you know you're gonna be unique but my, the likelihood of that happening it's like no there's enough one main event fighter lineups that I could pick I could pick 150 of these no pro out of the 300 it's like I would play like 200 plus of these over and then and the other 300 set i'm eliminating like 250 of these lineups right so so you know what my decision was my decision was is like if that's going to be the case i'm just going to make a 150 build from scratch that only has one main event fighter in it okay right and just curtail it from instead of trying to go from 600 down to 150 i just saw i'm getting rid of so many of these two main event fighter lineups i don't do I want to play forty percent Korean Zombie? No. Do I want to play forty percent Aljamain Sterling? No. I don't. I don't because those were the unique line. Like, like, yeah. and then it's like Aljamain Sterling with Julio Arce, and like, I'm like, I'm looking like, how many of these types of lineups do I even want to play to begin with? And I'm like, nah, I'm just gonna stick with one main event fighter. And based on my leverage scores, the the optimal lineup I would have had in my one hundred and fifty set. Uh. Right, I would, and it would. It was a it was a six a six or seven way split for yeah. like thirty seven thousand. If I was involved in that, it would have came down to like thirty two or something. Uh, and like, because I didn't have two main events, st- only two dogs won, right? Yeah. And one of them was Sterling. So like, yeah. it was Madsen Sterling. Those are the only two underdogs that won. I didn't realize that. Wow. Right, and fun and fun it was a low fight. scoring. There was only three finishes on the entire slate. So like, I'm I'm looking at that lineup going. Based on all the, I I was way over on Olinik. I was like all all the all the fighters in that lineup. I was at, I was over. I was over yeah. on there. I had that exact lineup, but with Chemayev instead of Volkanovsky. Why? Because I could only have one main event fight. I, I have yeah. Sterling Chimaev lineups, but I can't have Sterling. I can't have Sterling Volkanovsky lineups because it's two main event fighters. But. Volkanowski and Shmaev's leverage score in my in my uh, model or whatever you want to call it was only the difference of 0.02 points, which means I know that in the top 150, I, yeah, I would have I would I would have got, 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 got I would have I would have gotten I would have gotten, gotten yeah. it right. But I'm saying, but it's that one like you could there are tons of plus EV lineups that you could make. It's a matter of what 150 or what what 20 what five what three what one that you're yeah. gonna play. And a lot of times you find that you you have 300, 400 lineups that it's like, I'd love to play them all if I could, but I can't. So I have to find some way of mixing this down. And it's like, how much Tisha Torres do I want? Right? Like, do I want want to have 17% of Tisha Torres when her likelihood of hitting 100 plus is so low? Yes, she's low owned or whatever, but like I just like yes, I'll have four out of one fifty instead of like twenty two out of one fifty for the sake of being like uniqueer. It's yeah. like so like though that was that was the the problem with like why I was getting rid of so many lineups from that set. But I don't think I made a I, I I don't I don't think I made a mistake. It's just that there were gonna be more plus EV lineups with only one main event fighter, and from a diversification standpoint, I just said. I'll take the higher variance and not diversify by 120 out of my 150 being with one main event fighter and 30 with, you know, an up and down with, you know, with Yan Green Zombie or Volkanovski Sterling. I just, I, I'll take, I'll take more, I'll take 30 more lineups that only have one main event fighter because yeah. they're more likely to be unique.
1: Right. Yeah. Good process. Process over results, right? unlike your process
0: which is like change some settings and press the button. No nope, no process, no <laughs> results so far. Right cuz the cuz the the, the the optimal lineup that split what six ways was was a 49 what a 49 8 lineup.
1: Yeah, I, I allowed 49 8 this time. Right. So I could have theoretically gotten to that lineup. I just yeah. But I, you'll I, see, but you'll see, but you'll see
0: a point. lot of 150 maxers. I mean, I I I look and you'll see 150 maxers that, that that they ha, it's 150 lineups. They have a hundred and thirty-seven under-five dupes and a hundred and ten uniques, and the highest salary they have in their lineup is like forty-nine two or something, yeah, they have nothing past the, there. Which is
1: what I had been trying until you kind of talked me out of it. <laughs> so that, no, I mean yeah,
0: um, those are. I mean it's just that you, some of those lineups are are negative EV, yeah. and the lineups that are plus EV are extremely high variance i mean they're just like when they win they will be unique it's just that they don't they don't win that that all the ev like comes from the one in three years that that lineup wins or something how many of those types of lineups do you want to have in your set because what if like on a a slate like yesterday where two main event fighters uh win and a 49.8 k type of lineup wins it's like you're you're putting in thirty seven fifty and you're getting back like four hundred dollars. Right. Like yeah. that that's that that's exactly what it's gonna be. So if you don't if you don't mix in and care more about the under fives than the uniques, you're gonna be put in a position where you're gonna be you're gonna be blown through even on a on a fifteen dollar entry slate, which is twenty two fifty, you're gonna be blowing through like fifteen hundred dollars a slate easily, like yeah. for, for weeks upon months. Yep. And if you're willing to if you're willing to do those bounces? I mean, those lineups are and a lot of EV? a lot of one hundred
1: and fifty backers are. I mean, I I typically would say that I am too. I'm willing to to weather that storm a little bit with with like NFL showdown. I put in a lot of uglier lineups because I know that when they hit, they're going to hit big. So it's sort of the same idea, but it seems like the timeline is even larger for MMA. Or maybe I just think that because. I'm pretty new to MMA and don't really know right. what I'm doing. And NFL, I at least I watch the games. I kind of know what's going on. I kind of know what needs to happen for things to go my way. Whereas with MMA, I'm kind of
0: kind of going in blind a little bit. Well, I mean, to me, it 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 it, it lines up with the context of a slate. Yeah. As I've said before, I prefer the slates where the biggest favorite is like minus two forty or something. It's yeah. a four and it's a fifteen fight card, and it's like yeah. This is this is a slate where it's a much higher probability. Still not the most probable, but a much higher probability that a lineup that only spends like forty eight three is the optimal, and you can put and build a lot of a lot of u- more unique lineups there because the fights are closer. You don't have guys where it's like. Like, I don't know how much of this guy I could even play. He's like a plus 550 underdog with an ITD line of plus 700. You're talking and, about the upcoming slate? No, I'm talking about slates in general. Of just like, oh, okay. like okay. when we have these slates where the fights are closer, the, the, up, the slate coming up this week, I mean, the pricing just came out, but I see the odds, but uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of untrustworthy fighters on, on the slate to begin with. So those, those are more where I will run the win probabilities and see, it's like, Oh, 48, eights, 48 sixes are still lower probability, but still closer than yeah. it's like, then it's like, Oh, I don't have, I, you don't need a nine, you know, like it's one of those slates where there's four nine K fighters and there's like, there's like a, a, a 30% chance. Like none of them get there. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, those are the slates where now, now I may still have 50 K type of lineups, but that are going to be more contrarian with the other spots. But now I'm now I'm building. Now I make these 150 300 builds where it's like, okay, let me make 150 lineups that have max 49k. Let me make uh, max 49.5k, max 50, and then start picking and choosing. Some I go down as low as let's say max 48.5, and start looking at those, and then building from, and then seeing what what. Bits and pieces I could find from from each, and go okay. Now a lot of times I'm doing that just to see, and then I build my 150 from, like okay now I now I know what types of lineups uh, that I need to get, and and on those slates I I need to separate the builds, because if if I if I leave max uh, at the 50k, and let it run, I may only get like 10 to 20 lineups that are under 49k with my leverage scores anyway, and I may want more of them. But on but on slates like we just had where most likely I'm playing lineups that use most of the salary anyway, like I don't need to do that. It's mean, I like, okay, I see what I need to do and run it from there. Mm.
1: It seems to me that MMA more than other sports you get out what you put in to some extent like the more the more time you put in trying to get unique with lineups that still have a high probability the more you're going to get out of it. I mean I guess that's true to some extent with I think
0: Showdown I but. think NFL Showdown also. I think that that
1: Yeah, NFL Showdown for sure is, is that way too, but I feel it like maybe I just feel that way because with NFL Showdown I understand it it's something that I have played for a long time whereas with MMA I, the fight Frozen? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. Okay. Uh, I, I I was totally frozen. You were totally frozen on my screen, so I don't know what was going on there. Let it go.
0: Yeah, still here. <laughs> so you so you yeah. were saying about NFL show like 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 you feel like you uh, you understand the game more. Is there what what's yeah. there what's is the the things that I quote? I'm putting it in quote. Understand about MMA doesn't have to do with like understanding the actual sport of MMA sure but it's it just I mean I'm just I' I'm, I'm, I'm it's all betting lines to me yeah, like, yeah. I mean I, it's not like it's not like work that you well, you need to study tape or anything it's a I it's more of the time investment like I it's obvious it's obvious, uh, it's obvious so far, like, over the over the past six to eight months that I've sat down and said I'm gonna devote time to really understanding context and slate dynamics for MMA yeah so I could get better. and I could probably do I could do that in any in any sport. I could do it in golf or anything like that. It's just yep. that in looking at the CSVs the past almost two years, just i i in everything that i've I've looked at, the edge is just i mean, the same thing for NFL showdown truthfully also, just the edge is just too big not to devote the time to. Right.
1: So, so here's what I think I understand about NFL showdown that I don't understand about MMA is NFL showdown has a lot of correlation to it. Mm -hmm. And I also understand where the field makes mistakes with those correlations. So I build in some slightly negative correlation that I know the field isn't going to do where I can get. A lot of leverage just based on you know the quarter the the field not playing the quarterback against the opposing defense for example mm-hmm. you know that that kind of thing or two running backs from the same team three running backs sometimes from the same team the field never does that if you do it a little bit sometimes you can gain some ev just by getting different in ways that i i know like kind of the probabilities of that hitting whereas with mma it's hard for me to just you know the, the lowest owned fighter is eight percent owned and it's like yeah, if you just build lineups with an eight percent owned and a fifteen percent owned fighter in it, you can get different. And that's—it's hard for me to kind of conceptually grasp that because those don't seem like really low ownerships on a card where there's only twenty-four total fighters. So it's like right, but but it is—but like, the
0: combinations, uh, you, right? That it—it it, it seems. I mean, because we had on this past card three fighters that were fifty-plus percent owned. Right. So it's like, to me. Once you play all three like how many how many combinations of the last three fighters especially with the salary ranges could you put? Po- like I I can't see possibly playing any of these lines yeah it's it's, 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 it's if you want to split with 74 people okay go for it uh it's, it's the it's sl- the the slates that the are a little bit harder are the ones where like nothing stands like where the highest owned fighter is 40 percent. And then it's like a whole bunch of like thirties, like it's a little bit flatter, mm-hmm. but on, on the slates where that it's much more barbelled. It's just, it's just, to me, it's easy intuitively to see what lineups not to play. And I think that's, a, I think that's a lot of half the battle in right. contests like NFL showdown or any, any showdown, like a very limited player pool types of things of it's, 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 if you're first diving into it it's more important to figure out the slate context for what lineups not to play than what lineups to play cuz once you it it's easier to start from okay here's 100 lineups that i don't even have to run a simulation to know that that this is going to be duped 10 20 50 who knows how many times uh and then once you get past there you've already you've already won half the battle You've already, I mean, now you're getting to the point where it's like, oh, I, yeah, I have a lineup that was duped 26 ways. That's one of them. But, I mean, I also have lineups that are duped eight ways. I have 34 lineups that are duped, you know, four ways, three ways. I have, you know, 18 uniques. It's like I'm more likely to get plus EV lineups that way and then avoid the ones where 184 people have this have the same lineup or or the mistakes that people make like uh on slates where all the favorites win and a main event underdog is in a stack is the winner I just don't win those because if you if you download the CSVs uh by default every time that I've looked uh those lineups are overowned with the stack of the main right event. of the main event because people are like, oh, I'm guaranteed points or whatever like that, and a lot, of, a lot of times, uh, especially when the the main event, the underdog is very low, low priced, mm-hmm. where it's like, dude, if this goes to decision and this guy gets like 54 points, like if no other, if like if all the 9k fighters put up 100 plus, like essentially the low the the, the only way to get those in is by playing the cheapest underdog. And if, as long as no other underdogs win and score, you know, 80 plus points, that is going that is going to be optimal. Now, it doesn't mean you can't play those lineups. It's just that by default, they're over-owned. Oh. So I automatically never stack. We've seen, we've seen uh, there, there was one slate. Uh I think that not, uh, no, I think the slate that maybe the slate that I won on. There was one slate where no one had the optimal and it would have been a stack of one of the three round fights Okay. where, where oh. it, it was what it was. Oh, I forgot who it would the one the it was one where the guy, one of the guys like dominating, dominated the hell out of the first two rounds grappling with like five takedowns and tons of control time and 100 ground strikes and then got knocked out in the third round. <laughs> and, uh the guy the guy that knocked him out ended up with like the it was like a mid-range fight it was something where like the guy that lost actually scored more points than the guy that won wow and then based on on the scoring of the slate it would have been you know, spending 50k and having those two people like the 8300 uh 7900 would would have would have would have won right yeah. So, so I want to uh, interject. But no one, but no here. one had it. That, that's the yeah. But I, I'll never do that.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I mentioned earlier that I've been talking to this guy who runs simulations for MMA, and he suggested that those li- that in on shorter slides, I believe. Uh, he thinks that stacking sometimes goes a little bit under-owned. That's aside correct. Aside from aside from the main event, which he said is usually appropriately owned, was mm. the way he the, the
0: way he described it to me. Right so on, like I, nine on like nine fight cards with tons of cancellations, but th- typically those are the slates where I don't play 150 lineups. Like I just right. like I instead of playing those types of lineups where I'm stacking three round fights and doing very weird stuff, I'd rather just say. Instead of me trying to find 150 that I want to play, let me just play 50 or let me just play 75 and stuff like right. that. And just by default, never stack, right? But I see on some slates where it's like, you know, heavy favorites and stuff. And I'm like, like, yeah, it, it, this is more likely, but any time I've downloaded CSVs, typically on like 13, 14 fight cards, 12 fight cards, like you see you see too many main event stack like if there's but, one five round fight typically so don't the two- you,
1: that is a, a scenario where you where it might help to know the fighters a little bit to 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 understand which fights have a better stacking probability like where where the stack could be optimal oh yeah you could so, do that by I'm the like, betting i
0: mean the betting lines typically t- 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 typically the fights to fights to target uh i mean you yeah you you probably know have to know a little bit about the fighters uh t- i mean t- typically the fight the, the fights that have very high inside the distance. Probabilities that the fight okay, doesn't go. They're not going to be both optimal
1: if it is not inside the distance. If it comes to a decision, there's like right,
0: the, a high, like it, it's more of like high paced fight. Like, may, what you really want in the main event if you stack is a five round close decision. Depend, but it, uh, see, this whole thing all depends on the pricing, right? Sure, sure. Like the the hard to me the hardest the hardest slates are when. The, the harder slates I'm not saying the hardest slates when you when the main event is like a 9400 sixty eight hundred dollar fight those are easier because all you're considering when that when the spread is that wide is the likelihood of the ninety four hundred dollar fighter outscoring the other nine k fighters so it's like if the if that fighter is like the highest Price fighter on the slate, like all I need is one of the lower fighters to outscore, or two of the lower fighters to outscore. Like, what's the likelihood of main event favorite gets 112, but I find two fighters that get 120 that are underneath that that I don't need that. So, and then on the on the bottom end, all I need to really care about is winning. I mean, I don't even like at at that low price,
1: yeah.
0: Really don't care. But if that if that fight goes the distance. And is competitive. What ends up happening is that the ninety-four hundred dollar fighter is not optimal, and the underdog could be optimal with like a sixty-point score, but right. with a ninety-point score from the from the favorite, probably not. Right. Uh, so essentially, when you play the that when you if you're gonna stack those types of fights, it's very it's much much less likely. Unless no other favorite, unless no other underdog wins, and the underdog puts up enough of a fight, where maybe forty points from the lowest priced fighter could make the optimal. But you would need the high priced guys to do really, really well. Okay, but the harder ones are when the main event is like the eighty-two hundred, eight thousand dollars fight. The main right. event is like a minus minus one fifteen 105 type of fight. Yeah. Where it's like, this is even. Yeah. Those are great fights to stack in like cash games. Cause you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself like probably 150 points possibly from both fighters. And those are the fights where if it if it's a high-paced decision, you can end up with with an uh both guys scoring somewhere between 60 and 90 points. Right, and that could be for their prices that may be fine right you get one you get one dog that puts that that smashes 120 and then two 9k guys that put up 120 then you then how else do you fit that in without you know you, sometimes we we have we have winners that I mean Mackenzie Dern won and got 55 points right right uh, Gary got 61 points I mean so like like dude if you, an eight thousand dollar fighter that gets like sixty eight in a loss, that that could be fine. Or like an eighty four hundred seventy seven hundred dollar seventy eight hundred dollar foot. Like there are more ways for that type of stuff to happen. Yeah. But it, but to me, is that is that knowing about MMA? It's just to me, it's just right. It's just yeah. studying slates over and over here. and over again. Right. Yeah. And obviously simulation, I'm assuming the person you talk to could probably do much better than me. And simulating those and going, I'm going to simulate this like 10,000 times and yeah. show me how many how many times, percentage of times that, that uh, what type of construction wins? Is it a 2,9K construction? Is it a non-9K construction? Is it a, you know, a stack? Is it a, like, whatever type of thing? I'm yeah. just kind of doing that more intuitively or well, at least right. using the betting lines as a, like, a proxy of right. what that would possibly be. And we just so happen to be on a stretch of cards where we get multiple major favorites in the nine K range, where it's like, I guess I'm not leaving much salary on the table. But I, I, I know for a fact because I'm looking at 150 maxers every slate that a ton of them don't eat, like aren't have obviously are not doing what I'm doing. There's some that are, or some that I can't. I don't know what they're doing, but they're not. They're not. They'll have lineups that have 50K. They also have lineups that have 47.5 in them, and they'll have a mix right. across the spectrum. But I also yeah. find 150 maxers where, like, they're playing every lineup they can, 48.5, between 47.8 and 48.5. Yep. And then it is it is what it is, like, type of thing. And then a 49.7 lineup wins, and they're fucking busted. Yep. And that's why, that's why once I kept on seeing, like, it's like I, I respect these guys play. Like... I'm not. I'm not convinced that just constantly playing these types of lineups necessarily is plus EV because they're getting tons of uniques. So it's like, is it yeah. worth being unique? And I look at my lineups and it's like, well, this lineup is only duped three times. This lineup is duped four times. Like, I get some uniques. I get some with twos, some with sevens. Like, and I'm looking in that range and going, how often does my lineup win duped four times versus their lineup win solo? Based on the context as a slate, and I'm finding that based on based on what I'm doing in Excel with the win probabilities and my yep. proxy of a hundred plus like a six hundred point score, which seems good enough. I mean, right? It seems good. It seems to. It seems good enough. Yeah. That that uh, my lineups are more profitable than their lineups. Even yeah. splitting a hundred k, it's a It's like a like like a hundred ninety k divided. It's like forty eight thousand dollars. How often do I win forty eight thousand dollars versus them winning a hundred thousand or something, yeah. and I win more than tw- twice the amount of the time? Uh- yeah. So, I say, like-
1: so based on the, the simulations that I looked at, like I said, uh, of this other guy who was doing actual simulations, seems very sharp. Uh, he's finding the same thing that you are. And, and I saw I was I was negative EV. My lineup set was pretty negative EV, and there were some really great players, some players that I really respect as DFS players, who were more
0: negative EV than mine were. So. And what what was the what was the, did, did did you know like the the reason why they were negative EV? Were it was it because of was it, it was primarily because when- of duplication?
1: No, they, they they were all like low dupes. I think it was just the frequency with which they win okay. was why. Because that's because so that's really the balance the that we're talking
0: about. Right, to. right.
1: Yeah. So it is the players that like they're taking big risks. So their players probably similar to myself, I think, that are just willing to take pretty big risks. And in other sports, that can work out. But uh, I guess in MMA, maybe they just haven't figured it out yet. Sort of similar to myself. Just it's a a work in progress.
0: I'm sure. Right, because that, that would be a big difference. Like, if you're playing high win probability lineups that just happen to be duped 20, 30, 40 times, that's, you know, and then the, the other side of the spectrum is, like, what, what you're doing. is You're playing tons of uniques. It's If we relate this to NFL Showdown, there's the one end of the spectrum is playing both, co- like, the lineup that it's like both quarterbacks, the underpriced running back and captain, like the lineup that, that you go around the entire industry that's like, you're going to see this, you're going to see half the lineups and double ups look like, exactly like this lineup. Like that would be the one extreme. Like don't play the lineup that you download and it's literally duped 4,200 times in the large field contest. And then there's the other way of like, I'm going to play all the $200 players. Right. Right. And it's like, yes, I have 150 uniques and you have almost no shot of ever, ever being profitable enough to ever get your money back at all. I I enjoyed listening to, so I
1: re-listened to your episode uh, of Theory of DFS with Nerdy Tenor, of course,
0: leading up to You you did the episode, the episode you did the high stakes. I mean, yeah, I (laughs) truthfully, I think that that was, that was your best episode. And I think the Dirty Tenor one on mine is my best episode. I this yeah, is fascinating. No, but it's it see the thing is is that what he does is not is not unique or any like concept conceptually, yeah. it makes sense of yes. what he does. It's not like he's crazy or anything like that. I no. I just enjoy, especially coming from a poker background, the way that he describes problems. And the mindset of how he approaches things is is very similar. It's like it's like I'm I'm looking at someone going going like you're. It fe- it feels like I'm doing exactly what you're doing, but I'm trying to do it like with my own brain, right? And you you program a computer to do it, it that way. to do it for you, yeah. right? So I like I like hearing him like he explains it in a way where it's like it almost it semi validates like. Like, like, yeah. like the, the fact that like finding, like I, I brought this up, like almost like four, four or five years ago. And I kept on talking about efficient ownership. Right. I'm not saying that I invented anything. I, I understand. I'm, I'm not, this is not me, whatever sure. like that. But I just constantly said there has to be a way to figure out how owned the players should be. Right. And then once you figure that out and then you could figure out what the field is going to do. And exploit that. I mean, that like to me, that okay. se- it seemed obvious to me. I had no methodology of really how to do that other right. than feel, other than in running lineups and seeing what shows up more often than not. And then going, going, yeah, based on this projection, you know, he w- should be on this slate probably like 30 ish percent owned. And then I look at projected ownership and he's like 14 percent owned. Right. And I'm I like, mean,
1: that's like, that's what the boom bust essentially does.
0: Right. Like the, well, the boom. the boom, no, the boom oh, bust yeah. is is only talk. Only going by well, the optimal number. In, in, percent, right, optimal. Right. Right. Because because that encapsulates salary and yeah, position. Exactly, right. Because yeah. that's the main thing. And it's the not, rest of the slate. Yeah. Right. And the rest of the slate. It's not just as like a smash rating where it's like, oh yeah, he scores x amount of points, x amount of times. It's like. Right like well you can't fit three 10k players in an nba lineup so like it, right. it doesn't matter if they're the highest you can't you can't even make that lineup so uh but just the concept of of what is of he's trying to solve that problem of like how do i figure out what the efficiency of a play of uh, uh, ownership of a player and how what the uh, optimal frequency of a lineup in this contest is and conceptually that i mean essentially is what I, i'm trying is what I've always been trying to right. do, in general, and like five years ago, I, I and I'm obviously not don't know as many people. You know, back then didn't know as many people in the industry that I do now. But it in talking once I started talking to more serious players or whatever like that, it it felt like it felt like people didn't even understand what I was <laughs> doing. Like there was so, back then there were so many people that I mean. I mean, I'm talking about sharper players. It's yeah. like I don't even care about ownership. I just, you know, I have better projections, right. and I'm just going to jam in my projections, and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And and I come from the perspective of like, like there there has like the concept of relative value has to exist here. Points right. that I get that you don't have to be more valuable. Like it just it just it does it doesn't make sense otherwise. So why would you want to play? Like that—that that, the bare basic example that I give people, and it's in the course of like two players, same position, same everything, same projection, but one is ten ten, one is ten percent owned, and one is thirty percent owned. Which guy should you play? Right. Well, the problem is you play the ten percent owned guy. So, like, if 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 that is clearly the correct answer, then there has to be a, a range where once you decrease the, and increase the price, right. once you start increasing, decreasing owner, that there has to be some type of equilibrium point. Where this player at this projection, at this price, at this position, whatever is X and this player is Y and one is in a vacuum player to player more plus EV than the other. Like that, right. it, if, if, if you could clearly state that you'd rather play the same projection player at, at three times less ownership, you can't then say that ownership doesn't matter. Right. It clearly does, right? Because you'd rather have the points that other people don't have. So like that, like not. There's a roundabout way to say that, like that's, like Daniel, the way that the way that he approaches it through computer programming, like I could I could listen to him talk for hours. Yeah, he's fascinating. Me too. <laughs> so so you so you're saying? So uh, that to, to to bring it oh, back to what this, what, so what to bring it back
1: to what what I was saying to bring right. up was uh, I found it fascinating re-listening to him talking about him looking through lineups to find the dead lineups and the majority of the dead lineups came from over projected lineups that were too similar to everybody else. Like they're grouped together. They'll they'll lump together lineups more so than the poorly projected lineups was something that I believe he said in his interview with you is that a lot of the deadline, at least a lot of them, I think he said the majority come from lineups that actually project really well. They're just lumped in with a bunch of very, very similar lineups. Right.
0: It's, 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 right. It's, it's, the people that are building lineups that have very high min cash equity, a yep. much lower win, much lower win equity. You're not you're not going to find as many. Maybe you find more in NFL. Uh you're not going to find many where it's like this lineup projects seventy point like in NBA. This lineup projects seventy points lower than everyone else. Like you're just not going to find. You're really not going to find those lineups. It's going to be more of the oh, these are the lineups that like it's one of the three lineups that everyone's playing in double ups. Right. It's like, here's, here's all the best plays of the day, and it's like, you know, good luck on your 1.5 or 2x. and it's, or, or, or people that play that lineup, and then like, I'm going to pivot, and instead of playing this $4,200 guy, I'm going to play the other $4,200 guy. That's 3% owned. And I, I always tell people, it's like, you know how that lineup wins? If your 3% owned player it puts up 50 points. Right. Because your other seven spots are just, that combination exists too much. That the only way that you could win... So you're betting basically the farm on that one player having an absurdly outlier result. Not like, like oh, well, he gets 8x. It's like, no, you need like... He can't just outscore the other guy by two fantasy points. By, right, That's exactly. All. He has to outscore the other guy by like 20 fantasy points. Right. Which makes it better that if you could find a lineup that projects similarly to that, but is a 4v4, so you don't have the same types of combos. The ownership could even be even somewhat similar like that lineup would be better than that's why, that's why the whole lineup's not players thing of like, like you could look and it's be different ownership there or anything. It's like, but this combo, we see this in MLB, right? We'll see combos like, well, I, uh, uh, it's a chords game that they forgot to uh, price up. And the visiting team's coming in, and it's like everyone on this. There, there's six guys. There's there's three guys on this team that's going to be thirty plus percent owned. There's two guys that are going to be twenty plus percent owned, and there's a couple of guys in the bottom of the order is like eight to ten percent owned. And it's like, like well, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna pl- I'm gonna play I'm gonna play the five highest owned players from this stack, and based on the price, and then the fifty percent owned pitcher, and it's like. Well, yeah, I got four other spots. It's like you know the combo of of those six players that you have in your lineup. A lot of people have that same exact combo, so your your other spots have to really outperform. Yeah, on a slate where that stack goes off, that yeah. you're better off it, instead of playing that combo. Fade the fade the fucking team at that yeah. at that point. You shouldn't play that like either. Don't play the chalky starting pitcher or build that team combo with like all bottom of the order guys but the mistake as as with with uh, nerdy tenor what his findings are is that too many people play co- play lineups that are too correlated with your opponent's lineups right rather than uh lineups that are just like like uh like how did, how did you play these guys these like like you you played the pirate stack with with three nine nine hole hitters. And and a relief pitcher or something like like those lineups like it's not two thousand twelve anymore. Like right. you're not gonna see that many of those lineups. No. Yeah.
1: So I I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I agree. That it was it was fascinating listening to his episode again because I, I remember the first time listening to it and being like He just said a lot of stuff that I have no idea what he even is talking about it. And this time I didn't feel that way. I felt like maybe I've consumed enough content at this point that I have a better understanding of a lot of what he was talking. I mean, it's still a lot of it is obviously above my head and it's stuff that I can't do, but at least I understand what he's doing and what he's trying to do and kind of what what he meant uh, as he was talking about it.
0: So that was interesting. Right, to to me, me, the most most important conceptual thing, because I typically deal in concepts, Yep. Uh, that was introduced. The way that the way that he described it in in the previous episode of Theory of DFS is that exploitative versus balanced, yep. type of thing. So, un, like, like that's why I I, I appreciated when uh, Daniel said uh, that he doesn't like the term game theory optimal. Because yeah. I'm I'm of a very similar opinion. What's what does that mean? Like it it. It, it means bal. It, it it really means balance. It readings it really means it is, uh, you know as close to the Nash equilibrium as possible. It doesn't mean yeah. that it's the best. It just means that you right. cannot be exploited. you like that's really what GTO means. It means, which uh, is why I had been confused about it. So I, right. I learned on uh, when Brick was on
1: high stakes that GTO was not the same thing as exploitative because I had assumed that that's what people meant when they said gto was exploitative because to me that is the best way to play now who i mean who who's to say what is actually the best way to play but i had assumed that they meant like using game theory the most optimal decision which to me would be exploitative right so i had assumed that when people said game theory optimal they meant exploitative that those are kind of interchangeable uh terms or or at least that gto uh or that, that uh exploitative was encompassed within gto was kind of how i had thought it was but so i agree with you that it's
0: right really well i mean if you mislead. study game theory i mean the popular you know the prisoner's dilemma it's like making a decision that renders your opponent's decision meaningless where they can't possibly exploit you is the usage of game theory to be right optimal right to make de- it in, in in if you're playing rock paper scissors right if you if you Randomly through rock paper and scissors, one third of the time, you can't be exploited. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you're gonna win or anything, but you're gonna benefit by your opponent throwing one too often than the other. So over the course of time, you're gonna you're you're gonna win as long as you could randomly equally thirty three percent of the time. Like even if you just did random.org. Right, and just did one to three, and you were able to do that, and that's based your decisions on that, and obviously didn't get give off any type of tell. Or I'm I'm getting like yeah, if you can't right. see like those types of things, all you're doing is making it so that if your opponent knew your strategy and goes, he's going to randomly throw rock paper scissors equally one third of the time. What can I do to beat this guy? There is no there, there there's no way to exploit that whatsoever. Yeah. At best, it's going to be a stalemate, right? But if I knew that you threw rock twice as often as anything else, then obviously, then obviously, I'm throwing paper. I'm trying to now shift my frequency to exploit that. Yes. Right. So if if I knew, for instance, if I knew that that you were going to throw rock. Two, uh, twice as often as as any of the others. What you could, you could essentially throw paper one hundred percent of the time and make money. Yep. Right. That's the extremely exploitative strategy of like now I could just I could switch now if now now you get into second level thinking. Now, if my opponent starts seeing that I'm throwing paper. A hundred percent of the time, if they're observant, they may start throwing scissors at a higher frequency now, right? They're throwing scissors at a higher, I'm constantly throwing paper, 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 and now they're going scissors, 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 and it's like, okay, now his frequency of rock has now come down, Right. right? And now, now my, now my, my strategy is actually negative EV, because they've adjusted, and now, now I start now I start th- p- throwing rock to combat scissors, right? Maybe it could be that my opponent is like, well, if he's always always going to throw paper, I'm always going to throw scissors, and then I start throwing rock, and he keeps on throwing scissors, and I keep up, and then now what had is his frequency change? So you're constantly it, on, on an unobservant opponent. You, it, once you find that the, how the frequency changes, you could you could be more profitable by exploiting that until yes. the point. But obviously, people aren't now in those types of games that we're talking about. Uh, it's very simple games. People aren't dumb. Once they see that you're going to be throwing like twenty times in a row, they're going to start adjusting, right? And also, it's very hard visually without some tracking method of knowing that someone throws rock. Twice as often, you'll probably be able to notice if they throw it five times as often, right? Because like yeah. that, so like it's it's an unrealistic, you know, real life type of problem. Sure. But the to me, like when he when he mentioned that you know he he wants to create like toy game type of tools. Yeah. It's like that. That's now we're getting into the crux of what I. This is the yeah. shit that I like. Yes. Right. These are like the conceptual things of like like yes. Yeah, I could see, and it's it very similar. Ninety-five percent of people will look at the thing that he creates and goes, "I don't understand the point of this, right? <laughs> what am I going to learn about DFS here?" And like five percent of people are—I'm part of that five percent—is like, "This will help me," and like, yeah, it's, this, it's this is this is the stuff that's like, yes, and like, I created some Excel spreadsheets. I've done on the pregame show some like, like very basic things of like, well, if you, you change that. your frequency. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, like those types and like, yeah. to me, that, to, to me, that, that, that shows the concepts where it's not like, well, on this slate, do I play a high price pitcher? Like, let's just, like, yeah. if you just, if you grasp the mentality of how to think. And that's Brick, Brick75 did some of that in his, right. in his videos,
1: his DFS playlist. He does some of those kind of games with using Excel to kind of show you those like little concepts that you can learn a lot from. So I find those kind of things fascinating. I'm, I'm also in that five percent who's like, yeah, it's, that'll be really fun to kind of see what he comes up with for that. Uh, and I, I imagine that a lot of viewers of or, or listeners to the theory of DFS podcasts are of the same mind that that kind of stuff is useful. I would think.
0: Right, right. I, 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 he mentioned that before, and I, I, I even offered. I was like, like if you have no place to put it, like I'll put it on the theory of DFS site. I mean, because that's like, yeah, that I mean, that's taught, That that's the type of thing that I I, I would want to create myself also. Right. It's like, like, how do I like, make these little, you know, interface and it's like, you move this and you move that. What happens with little different payout structure, put in the payout structure that, you know, the, the contest and then run. It's like, if I play this guy more than that guy, like, like I can't code the yeah. back end to do that type of stuff. But I mean, I can make the, you know, I can, I can design the interface or whatever yeah. uh, for that type of thing. But even with like, mar- like I, I did one with like marbles, like you have to pick a mark, like the, how many marbles are in the bag? the probability, you know, of one marble coming out, here's the payout structure of guessing the right marbles in a row, you know, like, it's like, well, if you knew that, you know, seven, you know, it's four, three, two, one, you know, red, four, and, but, you know, out of your 10 opponents, six are picking red, which would, and you don't know any other information, which is the more profitable marble to pick? Because, like, it could be that four pick, you you know, red, green, blue, yellow, and it's like, well, it could be that six red, four, you know, three blue, and you. and you. And it's like at that point, you pick green because there's two of them versus one yellow, right? But if you don't, like, what happens if you only know one? Let's say you only know your friends in the contest, right? And they're colluding or something like that. And, like, you know that they're going to pick X color. So now you have that piece of information. So now the probabilities of your eight other opponents now move up by by, uh, by, uh, what, two and a half percent or something, you know, something equally, because you don't know. And then if you also know that this other bad player that always, the highest, you know, the cash game players, right? That type of, like, oh, they're picking red. It doesn't matter. And you, and you know, like, okay, now we don't know six of your opponents. Like, now what's the optimal, like, with that information? Because that's, because those types of problems is what you're doing in poker, essentially. You have, you have information that you know, information. Backdated information of how your opponents play, more likely than not, and then you're just trying to combine all these things together by going, what what is the optimal? When I, I say optimal, it's like what is what is the pl- highest EV moves? Do I bet here? Do I raise here? How much do I bet? Right? And then once you start adding in more opponents, then then now you're layering more stuff on top of it. Yep. And when you do it in poker, especially if you're, you're like a live poker player, like you're just, I mean, you're, if you're playing full time, like, I mean, I was playing six plus days a week, eight plus hours a day, like yeah. 30 plus hands an hour. That's I mean, nice. it just, it, it, you get in that, you get, that's all you could think in the terms of. And that's why you, you mention on, on high stakes so often that, you know, you ask that, that, that anyone have, you know, do you have a statistical background or whatever like yeah. that? And then typically it's like you know do you have a background in poker, right? And it's not a, and it's it's really not a coincidence that so many no. professional poker players, good profitable poker players, are also good at DFS. No,
1: very similar mindset.
0: Or or vice versa. You should be you should play some poker.
1: Yeah, but it's not. Legal here, or, or I don't think to play like online. I guess I, I guess no. I
0: go to see. go right. You're you're there's a card. There's a card room in Minneapolis, right? I don't want to leave my house. What are you talking about? Okay, <laughs> well, me you know
1: neither. what I didn't. You know what I didn't ask uh, Nerdy Tenor about that I had thought about, but I didn't want to force him to to answer, and I kind of had the idea late. So he mentioned on, or you you brought up uh, that you wanted him to backtest. He said he might backtest for you whether it is better to exclude at least one outfielder from your stack. So you you said that you, for a while, were building in your stacks, uh, telling it to exclude at least, not play three outfielders from the same team. team, And I I was curious to hear, because he mentioned on the podcast with you that he was like, yeah, maybe maybe I'll Look into that. You know, it's not something that I build in, but maybe the sims do it for me. Right. Uh, and I was, I was curious. To, I would think that it would be then exclude at least one. Aren't aren't first basemen essentially interchangeable with outfielders in MLB DFS? Am I wrong in thinking that? Like, I, I think of first baseman as being like
0: sort of similar. Like they're also going to hit forty home runs with hundred. No, no, right? but it, no, it's a, it's. I'm talking about this is not a Fanduel problem, by the way, because Fanduel has a utility spot. uh right. It's just that you have three outfield spots. You only have one first base spot, so the, the concept that I'm intuitively thinking about is that if, you, if, for instance, let's let's put away positional, you know, people that have multiple positional eligibility aside. Uh, if you're playing Paul Goldschmidt and I'm playing Pete Alonzo, if Paul Goldschmidt hits two home runs and Paul and uh, and Alonzo hits two home runs, no one could have both of them. Right, because they're both they're you you only have one first base spot, and they're both first base only. So like like as long as you have one of them, you're probably you you don't need both on Fanduel. You may need both because there's a utility spot there. Right. So the if you if there's two second basemen that put up a lot of points, you you can't have both of them in the outfield. However, you have three spots. So if three outfielders put up and they're owned decently enough, like it's going to be like what's the likelihood of, of three outfielders from the same team being the top 3 scoring outfielders on the entire right. slate right. and then to what's the probability of there being one outfielder that you need that 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 is that you need to have that puts that hit has the it's 38 point game yep. that that a five man stack You'd rather have four three one with that one guy. You'd rather have a five-man stack with that outfield spot open because there's so many more outfielders. So it's very similar to, we think, in terms of, like, on a 15-game MLB slate, you stack five-man because the likelihood of one of these teams scoring, like, God knows how many runs is much higher because there's so many more teams playing versus a four-game slate where maybe the highest-scoring team only scores five runs because there's only four games on the slate. I view that the same with outfielders of, it's a 10-game slate. 20 teams. Let's say they have three outfielders each. That's 60 outfielders. are three spots. If you have 20 first basemen, but you could only play one. So it's like what, what does it matter as much? But in the outfield, what is the likelihood of uh of of uh Mitch Haniger, Jared Kalenik, and uh, and Jesse Winker or whatever, like Putting up enough points in the stack that instead of playing Haniger, if you would have played uh, Kyle Schwarber, who had three home runs today, like this, how many more outfielders could have that three home run gag? So many right. more, especially outfielders, more, a little bit more of a power position than shortstop or or, or catcher yeah, yeah. or something. So like, I I have no way of I've I have no way of figuring that. I I I've I've, tr- I've, I've tried to some extent. By like the well, pro- okay, let me go the range of outcomes of all the outfielders, and then doing a, basically a permutation problem of like, okay, sixty outfielders. Here are their probabilities of scoring X amount of points, right? Because I can't do simulation, so I can't go optimal rates. It's just like, what's a target score? Thirty? Okay. What's the like? Okay, this person four percent chance. This person two and a half percent, and then just going through and going based on all these probabilities what's three from the same team? So I want, and, and it came out so low yeah, that it's like, well, what's the likelihood of, of three play? Just what's the likelihood of three players scoring 30 plus points. And it would be like 17%. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how many of that is three outfielders on the same team? Like less than 1%. Right. So it's yeah. like intuitively, this makes sense that there's, most likely going to be one outfielder as a one-off especially if they're owned i'm not talking about the 0.4% eighth hitter that happens in the in the lowest team total slate that that, that they score so many runs that that the sta- you'll need the stack at that point right? right for that type of guy that it's not going to be a one-off in other lineups but like these 3%, 4%, 5% owned guys are obviously higher 20% owned guy as a one-off like you're gonna need him to 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 win first, yeah. so like that that that's the the thinking behind that, right? Yeah. I have I, no, I, I think can't it simulate sense. it though,
1: right? I think it makes sense though. I think uh, it would be interesting to hear whether he he actually looked at it and see the results that he found. But I think that it, it does make sense. I, I so I, obviously the baseball season. I've only played one MLB slate so far this year. I feel like I didn't get a ton of lineups that were three outfielders from the same team anyway, probably because of that, because the outfielders project better in general, so other uh,
0: outfielders from other teams would sneak into Well, it depends uh, on, the, Neil, it also depends on the team. I mean, like, sure. you play the Yankees? I yeah, mean, it's right. how good their outfielders I mean, it's it, it like, it, it compares to how good their outfielders are. The Angels? Especially since Walsh is also first base eligible. You right, get right. Walsh, Otani, Trout, Rendon. I mean, like yeah, like the true. outfielders reject better than a team that has like two of their outfielders bat seventh and ninth in the lineup because they're more speedster-ish type of. So you're not gonna you're not really gonna get those types. But it, when it's Judge Stanton Gallo, yeah. like you're more likely to get three Yankees outfielders. They can get three Pirates outfielders or something like sure. that. So it's it's yeah. to me, it's those situations of like, yeah, I'm stacking the Yankees, and I have three, I have three Yankee Hicks. They have four outfielders, because there's a DH. They right. have four out of nine of their batters are outfielders, and all their outfielders bat second through sixth in the order. Now I'm sitting there going, Is 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 this long-term? optimal to do if I had to make a choice of one or the other not comparing like a specific slate obviously on smaller slates I don't mind playing three from the same team because the opportunity cost is lower of course so like I just intuit like from just directionally act whatever you want to call it like it just it seems to make sense based on the probabilities of those estimates it makes sense that it's more likely that you'll that you'll need that one off outfielder from an that's outside of your stack Than the stack putting up enough points where three outfielders from the same team. Yet, if you go back and CSVs, there are plenty. There are plenty of slates where the winning lineup in the large field GPP has three outfielders from the same team, three Reds outfielders, right? Because the Reds put up 15 runs and all their outfield, you know, all their their outfielders scored. And it's not like all their outfielders scored a ton of points. It's like one scored 24, one scored 20, and one scored 18. But the seven other games on the slate, like no team scored more than four runs. And there was no out there was there was one outfielder that scored like 28 as a one-off and he's three percent owned and it just is not like you already have 24 20 and 18 like an extra four points for that price it, it doesn't fit like there's no 40 point outfielder or something right and that wins and then, but it's how how probable is it and the fact that I could look at CSVs and see that most most if not all sharp players are not are not considering this, so that that sure. that always puts me at pause. To go, I mean, he, Nerdy Tenor said said it, said it best. I I love the way that he describes things. It's yeah. right at right at my alley. That if you're the only one doing something, either you're a genius or a moron. Like there's yeah. no in between, right? Cause why because obviously from a, from a from a free market perspective it's like it's the same thing of like I have an idea for a, a restaurant in in town because there's no restaurant like this it's like there may be a reason because people have tried and failed like that's why there's right. none of them right it's not because everyone is stupid and they didn't do this idea so yeah. it's, i feel the same way with that type of thing of like but it's also the type of thing where it's an if it is an error it doesn't if here here's here's how I view it uh, if if I'm right, I get a bigger edge than how much I lose if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's true. Right, Because I'm still making plus EV lineups, even with only two outfielders. I'm just locking myself out of, if a three outfielder from the same team lineup wins, I can't ha- possibly have that lineup. And how much of a leak is that? Not as much. But if I'm playing, if I'm if I my the frequency of my lineups that don't have three outfielders from the same team in mine is much higher than the fields, exploitatively, right? I'm gaining. So if I am right, I gain more, and if I'm not right, I I don't lose that much. Doesn't that yeah. does, that that makes sense? Was that was that, that a good way of explaining me. it?
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you can, I mean, maybe you'll occasionally you'll be blocking yourself from the best lineups or from, you know, stacks that have that go completely off with all the outfielders doing the majority of the work. But I, I agree that you're probably losing less if you're wrong than you are gaining if you're right. Yes, I think I think that makes sense. Right.
0: It, 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 in uh, this example, not not right. in every
1: example, but in this particular
0: example. I, I think I think in the, the the other end of the spectrum, I think uh, like for, here's something that that. You don't see sharp players do in uh, MLB for for larger slates. Not I'm not talking about three gamers that playing a batter against your pitcher. Yeah. So let's say you erred on the other side of saying I think there's a there's an edge in allowing one batter against your pitcher. As, you know you go you look especially in the beginning of the year pitchers are only pitching eighty pitches half the game is against the bullpen and going. I'm going to purposely put a negative correlation into my lineup, right? Because this batter is probably going to be facing my pitcher twice, mm-hmm. right? Maybe even three times. And it's like, how much edge do I get from having more a more unique build? That's like, you're not going to find many lineups that look like that in the contest. How much edge do you gain by doing that in baseball? Probably very little, yeah, I would say not a lot. Right. So <laughs> and was, if you're going to have unique lineups anyway. Right. And if you're wrong, if you're like, no, the negative correlation is definitely worse, right, than having three at-bats against that – because if he hits two home runs off your pitch, now your pitcher's dead, right? Yeah. And if like – like, well, what happens if he gets two at-bats versus the bullpen? Like, how much is that – worth? like, you're more likely to have too much downside in doing this yeah. than the amount of edge that you gain from yeah. – from I think that's a good. That's right. a good counterexample. Yeah, I agree
1: with you that even if you are right that there, that people underplay the pitcher against batter in a large slate, you're not going to gain a whole lot. So yeah, I, I think that's a good counterexample of where it's not worth trying. I
0: I, I like these conversations. Yeah, these are interesting conversations. If if we consider I'm this a, this podcast to be a conversation, most of the comments are how come I didn't let Neil speak for that long.
1: I feel like I spoke a good amount this time. I tried to. I tried to. You know. Get more, get more words in. Yeah, and you
0: get your shit in. You, you since the begin, since you started, since you came on in yeah. the beginning, you, you've been able to get your shit in.
1: And there, right. are, there are weeks when I'm, I don't have as much energy. I'm not really ready. I'm not prepared to interject. I felt like today I was a little bit more energetic. I've been putting together this chair for the past hour, so you know, just oh, oh is that a new chair already? Oh yeah, it's a brand new chair. It's a secret lab. I, uh, I saw in my interview with uh, RBX88, he had a secret lab chair, and I was like. That chair looks extremely comfortable, so I asked him about it and got a recommendation
0: from him, and just put it together. And so far, I like it. Is it comfortable? It is, yeah. I, I've 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 thought about getting a gaming chair, but it's like it's it, chairs are so like to me, like I I don't I don't mind I I could buy anything else like sight unseen, but it feels like a chair is at at the price point where it's like, yeah, I don't want to spend four hundred dollars and then be like I don't I, I don't it's risky. like right I don't like the chair like can I sit can I. I'd rather go to Office Depot and then they don't have those types of chairs and, and yeah. the main, okay. So gaming chairs in general, like what, what makes it comfortable? Uh, this one, it sort of uh, forces you to
1: have good posture to some extent. Like it's a little bit more upright. Uh, it's also pretty soft. You can lean back. Um, I don't know exactly what makes it comfortable. It's uh doesn't feel like there's something creeping up my ass, like sitting on hard chairs while, while I was uh, visiting all weekend and, you're, you know, your butt kind of gets sore after a while. I don't feel like it's going to happen with this one. Pretty soft seat. So How, how's the how's the ventilation? The ventilation. I don't think there's a lot of ventilation. It feels like it's leather or pleather or something. Okay. So I don't think there's going to be a ton of ventilation. OK, because like my chair, like I like the chairs that like I have a chair. It's a I like mesh. My, my last chair was mesh. And I, I actually really liked that chair, but it started falling us uh falling apart pretty quickly.
0: Oh yeah, my mine um, I'm missing an uh, an armrest on one side. Yeah. Right, which it doesn't matter. I, I mean I'm I don't rest this my arm. This might be a better
1: winter chair than it is a summer chair. I'm probably okay. gonna be super hot in the summer, but uh so far it's it's comfortable.
0: Right, but I like I like like the mesh chairs, it fe- it feels like it's like it's like ergonomically yeah. enough. No, and I, I, venta- I and like really and, and, it out, and yeah. summer it doesn't feel like it I would get sweat there because it's, it's, I mean, you could see through it. And then the back is also mesh. Yep. Right. And then it leans back and it just feels like, but the thing is, is that it's not, it's not, it doesn't have a high back or anything like, like it's, it's not, it's not one of those that's like straight up Uh, type of things. And it's like, it would, would, would that be better? Or do I just, I prefer this style Yeah. I don't wanna spend four hundred dollars and be like, nah, I'm just gonna use the chair the eighty dollar chair that I've had for five years.
1: I, that's the risk. I up. So part of the reason that I did this is, uh, so I had a mesh chair that I loved and then my parents were over one day and my mom saw my chair, saw it was falling apart. And she was like, Oh, well, we're actually getting rid of our old office chairs and they're really great chairs. They were not heavily used. And I remembered having sat in their old office chairs that I, that I found them really comfortable. And I was like, yeah, I would take one of those chairs. I'll I'll just sub that out. So I, without thinking about it, I, I gave them, or we got rid of my old chair. They brought, one of their old office chairs here. And it turns out I no longer find those chairs comfortable at all. So for the past like three months, I I got rid of my mesh chair way too early when I still loved it uh, or, or still liked it but it was kind of falling apart because I thought I remember those chairs being really nice and then I sat and it was creaky it's not that comfortable it's just like I feel like my back hurts all the time so I I was ready to make a switch so I just ordered this after after Geo gave it a high recommendation said that yeah it's the most comfortable chair he's ever sat in I thought okay I'm willing to take that risk at least I have a recommendation
0: from somebody I know um, and so far I feel like it's nice people, people now people recommend those types of chairs I mean I see most DFS players yeah, kind of have those types of, stuff, but it's like, it's one of those things. Like for for instance, uh, I can't wear Nikes at all hmm. because my the feet shoes? are flat. My feet are flat. Okay. Yeah. So I t- like my my whole life. I mean, of course, I came from like kind of the punk hardcore scene, so I was used to wearing like Vans Airwalks. Anyway, okay. but skateboard shoes are intentionally flat because that's to keep your feet on the skateboard. Even yep. though I didn't skateboard, but like. You know, like when I'm 12 or whatever, it's like, oh, I'll go to the shoe store and, you know, with my mother or whatever, it's like, you know, the cheaper Nikes or whatever. It's like, it's uncomfortable because I don't have an arch and the whole thing is a fucking arch. Yeah. And it's like, well, every, all everyone else is wearing Nikes. It's like, well, it just, it yeah, it's highly recommended for someone that has an right. arch in their foot. And then they probably look, someone like that would look, that has a high arch, would look at, at vans and go, I don't know how you walk in these because... Right. They're like, it's how do you short. walk that flat? And like, because oh, my feet are, because that's the way my feet are. So like, I view those chairs, especially like I I do have a spinal condition. Like that that the, the whole point is the whole point is that my spine can't be in that posture. Right. So I'm like, do I spend four hundred dollars to find out that I can't even lean my neck back to hit the fucking back anyway? Right. That. So what's the fucking what what's the fucking point to begin with? This is like, oh yeah. Now I have a chair that has a flat back that. It doesn't even matter because I'm hunched forward. I'm—I mean, I yeah. can't do anything you other than want to be that, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's comfortable for me. Comfortable enough so far. Right. We'll, we'll see if I still like it after a few days. But uh, you know, I've got it. I feel like it's going to stay together at least. I think. Does I, it have the heating yeah, stuff? Does it we'll have
0: see. like? Does it heat? No. I saw. I like saw. I've seen somewhere like that you could heat the. I don't know. I thought about it's getting a chair. Way. Did you, did you get the 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 three hundred thousand crown thing, I right? Yeah. I thought I thought about getting a chair for that. That was kind of what. Yeah, that that's. That, like I that literally that I was, was looking at that it. also. Yeah. They had two chairs. They had two chairs available or something. It's like, yeah. What? Why don't I just do this and get the worst case scenario? I just got a. Free, I got a, I It's essentially free to some extent.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but then I gave then I gave the thing to my wife and she she wanted the fucking HD photo printer. So I got okay, there. I mean, it's one of those things where if I really wanted, if I wanted the chair, I would just fucking buy the chair. Like I'm not getting a free chair. Like I view the 300,000 crowns as I, it's like 350,000, 350 bucks. Right. It just has to be spent on this, in the store. So just don't buy something for the sake of buying something. It's real money. It is. Yeah.
1: I I ended up buying something for the sake of, but to some extent. So, so I got a new iPad, uh, which I have sort of wanted a new iPad just because my old one is so old and not that great, but it doesn't even come with, uh, with, with, Phone capabilities, so mm-hmm. I'm connecting to the phone. So uh, I don't know. It's probably not not even a huge upgrade. I'll probably never use it. But it was the last day. I hadn't found something. I told my, I gave it to my wife for a little while, and she, you know, couldn't find some of she really wanted either. So she was like, "You should just buy something." So on the last day, I was just like, "All right, I kind of want an iPad. I guess it's a uh, it's a good enough value." A lot of the stuff in there are like twenty dollars items. Like I don't want to waste
0: this on a $10. right. That's the that's the, gotta, like, I told I told my it. wife I purposely. <laughs> I purposely said, put the minimum crown to be 200,000. <laughs> like, wait, could you? Yeah. I... On the, on the search filter on the side. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. Right. Cause was once you, ena- cause the thing is once you enabled the offer, every item would say eligible one. to be claimed, right? One. And so like, you didn't even know what the value of every, every item was. So I, yeah. what I did is I sent, I didn't log in and sent it yeah. to my wife and say, put that in and then I'll do it on my side and you tell me what item okay. it is cuz with smart. my she with did. my wife if you took off the crown thing she'd find some pencil set for her crafts that are like like 5000 crowns and be like oh I want these these are the $40 pencils that right. that that I know yeah, that I like pencils, yeah. right those are the <laughs> nice pencils and I'd be like dude we have 300 like it, we can't buy more it's not like if you were able to spend 300,000 crowns in general and get a bunch of then that would have been one thing but like don't just fucking waste it on goddamn pencils no Yeah. worst case scenario I was like I'm gonna buy the most expensive thing that I could resell on eBay right yeah, Right. that's how much yeah. of a fucking nit I am right I'm like yeah. well, what is the highest resale value like I'm not gonna buy a chair and then ship it off to someone it's like yeah. some little electronic thing that'll come in the box I'll just won't even unwrap it I'll just list it on eBay yeah. Right. And just whatever it is, and I'll send it off and I'll get the money. Same thing for, uh, did you play the, uh, the Onyx tier NCAA bracket? Oh yeah. I got tied for 22nd. Oh, something. okay. So how much was that? Yeah. 2000. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. Considering my, the team that I had in the championship was Kentucky who lost in the first round. I had, I had Kansas versus Kentucky. So I was in Kansas one. So that helped a lot. How many bad
0: brackets were there in that contest?
1: I think a lot of people did what I did, which is I opened my DraftKings app. I saw this thing popped up saying, fill out your bracket for the Onyx tier and not knowing a single thing about any of the teams other than their seeding, I just clicked through. You know, one seed, two seed, three seed. And then after that, it's kind of random. (laughs) It was kind of my approach to it. uh, And I think a lot of people probably did the same thing. Or maybe just like the the smart people who played a smart lost out this time. And the people who had no idea what they're doing kind of got
0: lucky. Right, because I mean, essentially, like I think 90% of Onyx players automatically cash just based on... The number of entries, yeah. Right. The number of entries. So once I once I saw that, yeah, I I did the, the, the most efficient thing that I, I I know how to do, just pick the favorites in every game. Yep. Especially with the sco- especially with the scoring system because it's like predicting a first round upset is only going to score you ten points, but missing out on on a Final Four team of one hundred and sixty points is like just all the favorites. Like yep. if I do all the favorites, I'm probably not going to be in the bottom ten percent of people that don't get anything. And I right. may be in the middle somewhere. I, I ended up with 150 bucks. Nice. But I'm, like I said, I'm an, I like, I'm, I'm 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 a crown knit. I'm a rewards knit. I'm just yep. like, what's the easiest way for me to get? Like I I won 14 cents in the WrestleMania one in the the pools. <laughs> Because <laughs> I cause they were promoting that, so I'm like, "Ah, oh, okay, who's going to win this? And what's the finish? Whatever, like that." I'm like, oh, "Okay, it should be then." Blah 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 blah. And of course, and wh- whatever. It, I mean, you're competing against like thirty five thousand people, like just whatever. And it turns yeah. out that I have fourteen cents. It's like, okay, okay, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> nice. glad that, that 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 made up for the sixteen dollar margarita at the stadium, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> nice.
1: Well, I'm doing my first
0: uh, my first MLB show today. Oh, okay. Oh, what well, I'm doing awesome. shows at Awesomeo. Um, okay, MLB is just, so much easier to discuss strategy than than NBA. Yeah. When
1: so, I, I I haven't looked at it at all yet. I feel like I should sometime between now and when the show starts in two hours figure out like which stadiums are the best now and figure out that kind of stuff. Just I don't look know. at projections. But I'll. I mean, that's that's not how the way I play is. I'm typically just looking at. <laughs> Uh, top stacks tool. I mean, that's right. like all I look at. Top stacks tool, top pitchers tool. I don't even look at the projections. I just look at the stacks. So it's a uh,
0: right because the, the rest of the lineup is just going to be filled out with whatever the whatever. I mean, the is.
1: projections. Yeah,
0: the, the projections do a form. I don't need to look at the
1: projections because right. they're just going to build the best lineups for me. So, so what are you going to say? Are you going to be like me? Just
0: look at the projections. There you go.
1: Yeah, I'm probably going to say. I mean, so, so my thinking is I'm probably going to talk about which types of lineups I want on this mm-hmm. kind of slate. So if it's a large slate, I'm going to want a five man stack on DraftKings, 4 4, or 4 3 on FanDuel, that kind of thing more so than. And then I'll probably get questions about individual players. And at right. that point, I'll look at the projections. Right. Um,
0: but also, like, tomorrow, the types of, like the types of line. Can you build two stud pitcher lineups, two cheap right. pitcher lineups? Can you pay up for the Dodgers stack? Can you, like, like the construction questions of like yes, yeah. the this stack has the this team has a 5.8 implied run total, but in order to stack them, they have a DH that's a first baseman. So you have two players that are at, on DraftKings that are both first basemen. It's hard to stack this team. Like just yeah. the way that positions go around, it's like like yeah, they're 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 good, but they may be actually be less optimal. You may play some of them, but like. Like to me, it makes it more interesting that way than NBA, yeah. where you could be on at five o'clock Eastern and be like, you know what, anything that I say an hour from now may mean nothing. Right.
1: Yeah. NBA, I, I told them I couldn't do live before <coughs> lock. For baseball, I am doing live before lock. I don't think I'm gonna have any issue creating lineups while doing a show. Just just so easy. Um, but also in the in the short term, so tonight we have it's actually leads up to lock, but because of the uh, conflict with NBA. A lot of the live before lock shows are going to be uh, two or three hours before lock anyway, so shouldn't be an issue.
0: Oh uh, yeah, because you could do you could probably do MLB even with some of the West Coast teams with projected lineups, it's not going to change like right, the top stacks the, the stack percentages unless like you know Trout sits or like and typically that's on Sundays if anything. So yeah. what? So 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 what so they're doing like four like a four o'clock.
1: MLP yeah, something show. like that. I, I actually haven't looked at the exact schedule yet. I
0: know You're on the show and you don't even know what time it is? 2.30, I want to say. 2.30, 3.30, something okay, like that. So, that's called, so you yes. got to get out of here then.
1: I, I'm actually uh, – I have a meeting in one hour with uh, to, to discuss the kinds of things they want us to talk about uh, on
0: the baseball shows. What, 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 how what to, kind how, of how, things? How to structure, how to structure the oh, show. Oh, for, the format of the show. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So like what types of things? I don't know baseball <laughs> talk about chairs. you could talk about chairs
1: we could we could talk I mean you can go off the rails we do it all the time um, tomorrow I'm going to be hosting so that one is going to be interesting I, I've never had to host a live show before this will be so I'm, I'm hosting the, the uh, high stakes podcast but that's just it's not live I'm not fielding questions or anything. Tomorrow's going to be my first time I'm going to have to be like trying to read chat while discussing things I don't know we'll, we'll see if I can handle it I'll find right out and then weaning out the
0: people that are stupid right. <laughs> in the chat yep <laughs> yep welcome to my life yep just discuss chairs that see it's it, it seems it's from what it looks like you went with the chalk chair I did yeah I definitely did and I have a leverage chair yeah <laughs> right I think that's a good description I'm a cha- I'm a chair contrarian you I'm are. a I'm a you could call it a chair trarian a, con- cha- a, tra- a chair tra- I'm not going to make that the title. It's going to be something. It's going to probably be chair contrarian. I can see the wheels turning in your head, I right? I'm trying to get the two gonna... words together, and that really yeah. doesn't. It kind of doesn't yeah. fit. Kind of yeah. close, close. It's close. It could. It's close. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Neil, people could find you at uh, Player Q DFS on Twitter. And high stakes. You uh, the, the 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 good thing about your podcast is that it has its own feed. It does. Yeah. Right. So if you if you subscribe to you go on iTunes or wherever, search for High Stakes DFS, you will find it. It's also in the main Awesomeo podcast feed, but you'll also get seven hundred other shows and yeah. picks and everything. I mean, like it's just nonstop. Every every show, every video, everything as it's there's a million of them. A million of them. You you could do that also, but at yeah. least it's like one is. The thing is, is that that your show. A lot of times comes out way earlier on the main podcast – on the main awesome feed than on the – on your – on the high-stakes feed. Oh, really? I, I had not noticed that. Yeah, on this past okay. episode, like, the Nerdy Tenor interview, like, was, like, on that feed, like, six hours huh. before uh-huh. – or what I don't know, maybe an RSS refresh thing, and I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. People it were, are publishing it this way. week, right? It didn't come out exactly. No. But I also noticed an episode before where it was like it came out like a full day. Yeah, yeah. Before and it's like it's like, well, why am I waiting? Like I'm right. just gonna I'm just gonna listen just, as long as I don't accidentally delete it because I you know no no offense to awesome podcast feed but. Ninety percent of the stuff I don't listen to, yeah. right? I don't need I don't need the prize picks thing and the whatever. Yeah, I go through and just do, 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 and when it's like, oh, okay, I'll leave. I'll leave the NBA strategy show there. Maybe I listen to it. Maybe I don't listen to it. But it's there and I put it on. Or sometimes I listen to it and then I don't realize that I ever even listen to it because I'm doing other stuff. So uh, so yeah, I, I constantly have podcasts on. So like yeah. like, but your show, but the interview shows are the ones where. Like I'm not doing anything. Right. Typically, typically those those are those are uh, shower and shave podcasts. Yeah, right. Good. Good like time. put it on in the shower. You take a 10, 15 minute shower. You shave like it's like a half an hour for that. Then you, uh, you driving. Know, I get driving. Right. I don't go in it. Bacon. It's a bacon egg and cheese biscuit time. Put that in the microwave. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Or 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 and then then you also have the the fall asleep podcasts. The fall asleep podcasts are typically podcasts that are are uh, interesting but too long. Okay. Like yeah. I, and then typically not DFS. They're typically political or yeah, I have some yeah. wrestling podcasts where it's like it's a two hour podcast of like all the things the past week in wrestling type of thing where it's like yeah I already know what that was. I, yeah, I just want to hear the commentary. And if I only catch like if I only catch twenty minutes of this and then fall asleep. I ain't going back the other. It's just it's whatever. Yeah,
1: I don't have those because I would not fall asleep if I'm listening to something. But uh, it's an interesting idea.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't a, work for me. But, yeah, my yeah. pot, my 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 pocket casts. If I it it it's probably scary. It just there's let's see stats. Since uh, July 27, 2016, so that's almost six years. Mm-hmm. I've listened to six hundred and ten days worth of podcasts. Wow, <laughs> that is an insane amount of podcasts. Okay, I've, I've spent, I've spent uh, almost two years listening to. And that, and that doesn't
1: count the time that you are doing podcasts,
0: right? So like right. It, yeah, but also, but I also have this podcasts. this the save. Now, hold on, because of variable speed, because I listen to podcasts at one point two. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I've saved 121 days Okay nice. And from uh, from Trimming silence Which is a, a feature So like if there are pauses with no audio Like it just cuts those off I've saved 72 days Wow of, right. of just making sure that if there's a pause Just like talk a little bit faster And 44 days worth of skipping Nice And that's not audio That's I, I just walk around I go around my house and skip a bunch <laughs> ah, so so uh, obviously i'm i'm a hardcore podcast listener i can tell yes right because it's just on all the time, time it's just on all the time like, that's yeah. why it's like 600 days worth of podcasts it's not me like listening intently to podcasts right, right yeah it's not the only thing you're doing right that's like like okay podcasts are on 8 to 12 hours a day and maybe two to four hours of it is in intentional listening
1: yeah
0: but you are but high stakes is one of those intentional listens appreciate that right and i would i would hope everyone else is bought that dairy dfs is their intentional listening but from yeah. some some it was some for the, me
1: before i was on it every week
0: right now I, yeah but some, some people are like oh my god it's two and a half hours long right right, right like well, so what it would right the nerdy tenor one was what that was almost four hours right It was three hours.
1: hours. Right. Because that was that was one that broke my record. I I had had the record for being the longest guest on Theory of TFS at just under three hours, and then he went fifteen minutes longer.
0: Right. And but still, the the Dirty tenor you went over two hours with him. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's your longest podcast. It is. Yes. Yep. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So you'll be back on uh, back on in two weeks. I I may I may. I wanted to tell you before so it didn't feel like I was cheating on you because I Uh told you about Cardi I may I may bring on some more guests nice like because we're we're on like a bi-weekly every other week because there's only so much that's going on to just shoot the shit about yeah so like and people are asking it's like uh like (laughs) I want to say some people are like Neil is boring as fuck in the in the YouTube (laughs) comments but I don't care about those people uh but some people ask, you know, I, I liked it when you had guests on and had interviews and talked with other people, even though they're not really interviews. It's just me having someone else on. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I may on the I other I enjoyed those week. when you had random guests. Okay.
1: And I, I always enjoyed Eric as well, but
0: it's still fun to kind of get to hear right. from other people. Right. So I, so I I may in the mix. Because once NFL comes back, I don't mind doing every week. Right. Because it's something because it's the NFL season so much more popular the downloads and the views go like five times more wow. and people don't mind talking about, we just did, you know, the Sunday slate and it's, you only get like 18 of them. So it's like to review the process and all that type of stuff. It's as much more interesting. Just during, we're going to get into July. If we did this as a weekly show by July, it would be like, okay, is baseball ever going to be done? Like, what are right. we, what are right. we going to talk about? I mean, people that probably get sick of us talking about MMA right. past, uh, you know, a couple of months. Uh, yeah. But the concert still apply to anything, so I don't want to mix it up. But I didn't. I didn't want to like say, well, "I'm looking for new people because Neil's too boring." <laughs> I don't. I don't find Fair. you boring, Neil. I don't find you boring.
1: I appreciate that. But, I. Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, you and I have fairly different uh, presence in the in the show. So maybe people who come here for Blender then they see this this guy who doesn't talk nearly as much, isn't as animated, as I can see those those people finding me boring. Yeah, I but there's other,
0: people. there's other people that are the opposite. There are other people like, dude, can you, sh- can you t- tell me to shut up and let the other person talk? Well, some people think that then I kind of
1: balance you out. Like, you, you kind of, you know, kind of bring it down to my level a little bit uh, when I'm on the show. So, you know, you can't please everybody, right?
0: Right. And on your show, you're, you're, you're actually a good host. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, because you, it's, oh, I'm, it's not about me and me. I'm just used right. to, like, I'm just having a conversation. If I end up talking for 20 minutes straight— that's just the way it is. That's just. <laughs>
1: That's what people come for. Yeah, people come
0: for. I don't know. Do they? I have no idea. The, the, the listenership goes up. I don't know. Is it maybe people hate listen? I Neil, I do hate listen to some podcasts. Yeah, I know.
1: I know that a lot of people do. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's
0: not something I have the patience for, but I know people do it. Okay. So you, uh, are you gonna, during the MLB season, so you, you're, you're on the show today. Obviously, this comes out. You, it's already happened. Uh yep. So you, are you going to regularly be on MLB shows? Yep. So currently, I am scheduled to
1: be on Monday through Wednesday, and uh, Tuesday is the only show that I'm hosting. So I'm going to be
0: with different people each of those days. Um, okay. Yeah, Monday through. Wednesday. And that'll be regular. Like you'll you'll be on like two, three, four times. Yeah. It's obviously that's, high that's stakes and everything. So you oh, you're getting see, You're, you're building yeah, up. I, I, re- I remember there. the conversation we had in DMs a while ago about like, like oh I'm interested in maybe doing a little bit of content or whatever, and you're like yeah. And very very similar similar approach to me just like just whatever it's kind of like i'm here whatever you need i'll fill in and do whatever and then next thing you know you're next thing you know you have nine shows a week and you're like yeah oh my god like <laughs> yeah didn't get it to any- i don't think that i'm at the point where i want to be
1: ramping up too much like th- this to me hearing that they want me on three days a week i'm like yeah, it sounds about perfect for me. Just like three three shows about baseball and then I'll do high stakes. I'll do this show every other week or so. Um, and then that's I don't think that I'm uh, really wanting to do full time like like a lot of people. I don't understand how people can do this all day, every day. It seems like it's to me, it's taxing to do it too much, but it seems like a good a good amount of content for me for now.
0: Right. And, and eventually, if you get to that point, this will be the first show that you drop. I mean, it's the only one that doesn't pay me. Right. That's exactly, that's exactly the point I was going to say. <laughs> well, I don't I be the type it, of I thing unless you're going to pay me, uh, I'm going to do the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, I enjoy it. I enjoy the show. Uh, there's no pressure, at least. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah, that's true. right. There's no pressure. There's no like, oh my God, it was a horrible show, Neil. I'm gonna I have to let you go. I prepare
1: for this show. All the other shows, I feel like I need to prepare ahead of time because, like, they're paying me, people are watching. this show, you don't, you don't tell me what we're gonna talk about. So there's like no mental preparation right. for. Doing
0: there's that. not even a mental preparation even when we connect. Even it's kind of like you connect and I go, are "You ready? Okay." We don't even say hello right. to each other. Right? No, yeah. You good? Okay. I'm right on. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the, that. That's what this type of show is. That's so right. we'll, be, yeah. we'll be getting some more more guests on. I may tweet out like some if you have suggestions right feel free to tweet at me for obviously people that have not been on the show on the show before or unless you want to see someone again or something like that uh so just tweet at me at blender hd or email you know uh, questions at theory you could always submit questions or ask me anything you want to that email address and as always if you want to pick up the theory of daily fantasy sports it's a 15 hour audio dfs masterclass that you could find at theoryofdfs.com